In the last few months, one name has become synonymous with the illegal surveillance of journalists around the world, Pegasus. 17 media organizations that investigated the Israeli cyber surveillance company and is turning out with the biggest spying scandal in cyber history. We have been a list of more than 50,000 phone numbers. This includes activists, journalists. I've been hacked using this Pegasus uh, spyware. Should we be afraid? Nobody is, is safe at this time. In July, an international consortium of media organizations published leaked information about the potential hacking of the phones of hundreds of journalists in at least 10 countries using the spyware sold by Israeli firm NSO Group. In Europe, journalists from France, the UK and Hungary were named on the list of potential targets. These revelations have woken the world up to the abuse of invasive surveillance technology against journalists and other government critics, sparking renewed concerns about the risks that such technology posed to journalists' safety and source confidentiality, and leading to renewed efforts to regulate these weapons inside the European Union. However, major questions remain about how effective current EU regulation can be, and whether the surveillance that we know about is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm your host, Jamie Wiseman, the Europe Advocacy Officer at the International Press Institute, a partner organization of the Media Freedom Rapid Response, or MFRR, a consortium of organizations dedicated to defending media freedom in the European Union and candidate countries. To discuss some of the key issues around Pegasus, spyware, and the threats that they pose to journalists, I'll speak with Stephanie Kirschgeisner, an investigations correspondent for The Guardian and the newspaper's lead reporter on Pegasus as well as Dimitri Batoni, a researcher at Dublin City University and project coordinator at the Observatorio Balcani Caucaso Transeuropa, a research centre and think tank based in Trento, Italy, which is part of the MFRR. You're listening to the first episode of our new monthly podcast, MFRR In Focus. Hi Stephanie and thanks for joining us. I think more and more people will have begun to hear the names Pegasus and NSO Group, but what exactly is this spyware and how does it work? Well, thanks for having me. Um, Pegasus is what is known as a spyware. Um, it's a software that is um, owned by an Israeli company called NSO Group. And it's a pretty scary product that you don't really want to become too familiar with. Uh, what, it, what it does is it's a spyware that can be used to target mobile phones um, of people who uh, the people who are using it want to surveil. So just to take a step back, um, NSO Group sells its product to governments and different authorities around the world. And it says that it sells uh, Pegasus, the spyware, uh, for the purposes of law enforcement and um, essentially kind of tracking criminals and terrorists um, so that their encrypted conversations, meaning conversations that are being held over encrypted applications like Signal or WhatsApp, the kinds of things we all use, uh, that they can be intercepted. So the way that this Pegasus works is basically the client, uh, the government client 
shoots off essentially this spyware. Um, and it, you know, it used to be that you would have to click the, you know, the person who holds the phone would have to click on a link or something like that. Um, and that essentially it would open the door to Pegasus just infiltrating the phone. Now, first of all, that no longer is necessary. There no, there does not need to be, um, the person using the phone doesn't need to kind of make a mistake by clicking on a bad link. Um, there is a, what is called a zero click infection. So uh, for example, there were people whose phones were infected a few years ago because they received missed calls uh, from WhatsApp. So just like a random person calling your phone was enough to uh, lead you to have your phone being um, compromised. So, okay, once Pegasus is on your phone, it basically is acting as if there is an individual who can remotely control your phone. Um, there is nothing safe. There is nothing that is any longer safe on your phone. They have access to all your emails. They have access to all your pictures, text messages, um, all those encrypted devices that I mentioned. Um, one of the really scary features is if you can imagine someone controlling your phone, they can turn the recorder on and off um, and essentially, you know, retrieve that data. So, so it makes your phone and wherever your phone physically is into a recording device. Same with the camera. Um, and finally, it can also track your motion, you know, track your movements another scary feature of Pegasus. Um, another difficult aspect of it is it's not like your phone turns blazing hot. Uh, and so, you know, that, or, you know, it's not like there's a flashing light that goes off and says you've been infected. It is an extremely sophisticated spyware. Uh, it is extremely difficult to track, uh, if a phone has been infected, uh, it, it's impossible to know while it's happening. The only hope that people have who are infected with this is the fact that the researchers who are trying to decipher this are, you know, just as smart as the people who deploy it. And that's really the only hope we have. Um, and so they have come up with some techniques to find uh, ways to track whether a phone has been compromised. Okay, this obviously sounds like incredibly invasive technology. Tell us a little bit about your work on the Pegasus project and what this investigative reporting helped unearth about the surveillance of journalists. Yeah, so I was the uh, Guardian newspaper's lead investigator on the Pegasus Project. I've had some uh, background already covering NSO Group and surveillance. And we at the Guardian um, have been very focused on the use of these tools against individuals who are not supposed to be surveilled. So in other words, um, you know, there, it's it's been a long stretch of sort of dismantling the myth that this is a tool that's only used against criminals and terrorists, because what we have found over and over and over again, with the help of many of these researchers that I've mentioned, is that there are innocent people, um, people who should, you know, should not legally be surveilled, whose privacy is being invaded, Um who have been targeted by this, by the governments that are using the software. And so we had already been writing that, those stories uh, for a few years. And then the Pegasus project came along. And what we had access to was um, a leaked list, a leaked database of phone numbers 
tens of thousands of phone numbers of individuals who uh, we believe were selected as potential targets by customers of NSO Group. And so uh, we identified a large number of these. Being on the list did not automatically mean that you had been hacked or that we have evidence, I should say, that you've been hacked. Um, but we found a rather large proportion. I mean, of the phones that we checked, which uh, were dozens of phones, a large portion of them had evidence that Pegasus had been deployed in the past or that there had been attempt against those phones. Zooming in on Europe just for a moment, what do we know so far about how this technology has been used to track and monitor journalists within the EU's borders? So I would say just overall, taking a step back, we uh, found about 180 journalists were on the list. So that means 180 uh, or it might be more than 180 were, um, you know, 180 of those journalists, their phone numbers were on our list. of. So that means that they were kind of selected by governments um, for surveillance, potential surveillance. Among those, some of the really, one really prominent journalist was Rula Khalif, the um, who's currently the editor of the Financial Times of London. Um, there were also journalists in France and in Hungary. And um, colleagues of mine um, really focused on the Hungary uh, question. And, you know, in France, we um, suspected that the attacks against journalists, um, the ones that we could confirm, uh, were coming from outside the country, that it was not the French state that was targeting them. In Hungary, uh, we have you know strong reason to believe that the client in that case is Hungary itself and the Hungarian authorities. In other words, that the Hungarian authorities were using this tool to target their own uh, reporters within their own borders. Um, and those are reporters who are, you know, investigating corruption, who are investigating, um, you know, the actions of uh, Viktor Orban and his um, circle of his close circle. You mentioned uh, Hungary there a state where the indication is, at least, that the government intelligence and security services themselves, uh, you know, who are operating this technology to surveil journalists. What kind of response have we seen so far from the Hungarian government about the allegations? Um, you know, have they come out and said that they, uh, they have used the NSO group spyware? I mean, how much uh, accountability have we seen so far? Um, of course, my Hungarian colleagues would know better than I do, but I know that there have been kind of there have been some sort of suggestions of acknowledgement of this as a tool. And then when things have slipped, those things have been sort of rode back a little bit um, in Hungary. So that's been kind of interesting to watch that unfold slowly. And there've been various promises to investigate, for example. Um, but on the bigger issue of accountability, um, we did see the European um, commission make some strong statements about the need to kind of crack down on this and that this was a big problem. Uh, the strongest response to our project, well, they haven't said it's in response to our project, 
but uh, the timing is awfully coincidental, is that in the U.S., the U.S., um, the Biden administration took this pretty unprecedented, I think it is, decision to place NSO Group on a blacklist, which is, um, it's formally known as the entities list under the Commerce Department. And what that is, is it's a, it's a kind of collaborative decision between the Commerce Department and different agencies. It's a classified um, discussion that they have to basically try to, like I said, blacklist um, certain companies that are seen as a threat to the U.S. and that are seen as a threat to foreign, inter- uh, you know, foreign policy interests. And I believe this is only the second case where human rights violations were included in the criteria of including NSO group um, on this list. We've seen other examples where um, Chinese surveillance companies um, have been put on the list also for human rights concerns. So it's it's extraordinary because in this case, it's not China, it's not Russia, it's the Israeli government that is supposed to be you know monitoring this company. And obviously the US government's perspective very clearly is that they have failed uh, at least to protect certain interests that the US uh, values in this case. So there are some, as far as specifically as NSO group goes, I think the company is facing a real challenge now because they've been put on this blacklist. It has a whole domino effect uh, on their finances, for example, and on their ability to do business because it becomes a lot less attractive for different customers, even though they do have a very special product. um, It's now the real cloud over NSO. So the question is, you know, do they survive that um, and how? NSO Group stresses that it only sells its products to government intelligence and law enforcement agencies for the sole purpose of investigating suspected terrorists and other serious criminals. It says it carries out rigorous due diligence and, when presented with evidence, has terminated multiple contracts with governments whose agencies have misused its products. The critics say that's the point. The NSO has no real idea what the government does after it's been sold the company's technology. They argue that the fact the spyware has been sold to autocratic regimes indicates that their assessments are clearly not strong enough, and these private companies are driven more by profit motive than a legitimate concern for human rights. In the EU, the Pegasus revelations have led to questions about which other governments are using the spyware. Recently, it was revealed that Germany's Federal Criminal Police secretly purchased the technology in 2019. Spain is also believed to have purchased it, and France was in the process of buying it when this Pegasus scandal broke. Reports from NSO themselves suggest that Cyprus and Bulgaria were granted export licenses. While abuse of the tools against journalists or critics in these countries has yet to be discovered, it has sparked fresh concerns about the opportunities that this gives security agencies to spy on journalists without their knowledge and without proper oversight. The sad news here is that these high-level spywares completely undermine the ability of journalists to protect their investigations, their sources and their communication. That was Dimitri Betoni a researcher and expert in surveillance 
who works for the Observatorio Balcani e Caucaso Trans-Europa. Uh, they rely upon technical vulnerabilities known usually solely to the company itself that develops such spyware. And therefore, there is basically no defense from them until it's too late and journalistic privacy and uh, source confidentiality is compromised. And we've heard already that these kind of cyber surveillance tools such as Pegasus are sold obviously on the private market to governments and their law enforcement authorities. But how much oversight and regulation is there right now, both of the European Union and in the wider global market, to control who is using this kind of technology and who it's being sold to? So at this stage, let's say the, the highest, um, the most advanced regulations uh, come from the European Union. Uh, in September, the, the Union updated its own regulations for the export of so-called um, dual-use technology, um, in the sense uh, spywares like Pegasus and all these uh, similar products uh, are co considered dual-use technology in the sense they can have both uh, civil and military use. Um, this update represented a step forward, an improvement, uh, because on one hand it included, um, so the, the EU committed itself for um, an annual publication of licensing of such products. Uh, it expanded the list of products uh, considered uh, as a, a dual-use technology, and it also included a new mechanism for expanding this list. Yeah, we saw that this regulation was adopted in September this year. How effective do you think it can be in limiting the use of technology like Pegasus and others? Unfortunately, I, from my perspective, this new regulation fails in two major aspects. The first one is that on one hand, we have this uh, commitment from the EU level and also uh, member states. But on the other hand, member states can oppose a range of uh, motivations to deny public disclosure on the industry and the agreements signed with this industry. Uh, for instance, uh, motivations like national security or commercial rights. So while on one hand we have a strong commitment on behalf of our institutions, on the other hand, they also provide justifications for, um, for avoiding this uh, public disclosure. But the main problem here, in my, in my opinion, is that these attempts to regulate the market does not challenge the very nature of this technology. So the technology itself is not questioned. In other words, the EU and other national institutions are not moving beyond uh, what in, in the academia are called uh, policies of insecurity. So the idea itself that safety can only be reached through a granular control of um, citizens' lives and an unlimited ability of the state to capture every bit of information that is circulating in the digital world. This is basically the political mistake that lies behind these technologies uh, like the Pegasus spyware. Yeah, we've heard already that while there are more and more efforts to investigate NSO Group, as well as multiple lawsuits, sanctions from the US government, um, of course it's not just NSO Group that are selling these tools. Pegasus is obviously the best known and most controversial out there right now. Uh, but there are other companies in Europe and elsewhere selling similar spyware tools, right? Exactly. That is the point. Like At the moment, we are questioning um, a specific company's behavior, NSO. 
but we are not questioning the entire industry. An industry that has been thriving basically since 9-11, when nation states realized that they they wished for more control on the digital world. Okay. And despite attempts to, let's say, counterbalance this uh, sort of race to toward technological means and tools to affirm uh, reaffirm state's control over the digital domain. This race was not balanced uh, by a similar attempt to care about both private and public rights. Uh, David Caillet, the UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Expression, remarked this very concept many, many times in the past years and invited both the international community and the individual states to balance this uh, attempt to acquire digital tools for control uh, with stronger, stronger regulations in terms of safety, but especially public supervision. Uh, that, that is essential. So we need to somehow make the wider public through our parliaments uh, and other institutions, the oversight of NGOs and so on, being able to assess both the industry and uh, the, the agreements that the industry is striking with uh, public institutions. Um, this is fundamental at, at this stage. This is what the EU somehow is attempting to do, but as I mentioned before, uh, it is not enough when it comes to, uh, let's say, uh, evergreen barriers like national security. So we, we need to challenge this idea that security can be reached solely through control. As we've heard, Pegasus is one of a multitude of spyware tools available to governments on a global market. The failure to control the acquisition, trade, and use of such technology inside the EU means that right now, the number of member states who have bought Pegasus or other similar technology remains unknown. And this opacity poses significant threats to journalistic sources, privacy, and safety. The MFRR has called on the European Commission to conduct an independent investigation into alleged abuses by the Hungarian authorities against journalists and others. Moving forward, it's vital that the Commission establish the extent of Hungary's use of Pegasus, identify what safeguards have been implemented, and respond to any abuses. And until such an investigation is carried out, the Pegasus revelations will continue to have a chilling effect on what remains of independent media within the country. You've been listening to MFRR in Focus, a podcast which explores different issues facing media freedom in EU member states and candidate countries. The MFRR tracks, monitors, and reacts to violations of press freedom, conducts advocacy, and provides legal and practical support to protect journalists and media workers. The MFRR is a consortium led by the European Centre for Press and Media Freedom and includes Article 19, the European Federation of Journalists, Free Press Unlimited, the International Press Institute and Observatorio Balkani Caucaso Trans-Europa. The project is funded by the European Commission. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode of MFRR In Focus. (laughs) 